I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Thanks, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mom is calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows your best. Better call daddy cause he's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Indecision kills dreams. Today, we are going to set and act on intentions with father and son, David and Colton Corporning, the authors of What the F is Next. We're going to take action and not sit idle on our dreams. Welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. I want to get like right into the meat. So last time I talked to you, David, you shared with me that you have yourself spent time in therapy and in group therapy. And it is said often that no matter how hard we try to avoid how our parents raised us, that creeps in. Yes. I would like to talk about that because I feel like there are many parents who try to do things differently. And you yourself discovered things about your own father by going to therapy. How have you tried to do things differently? And is that even really possible? And how does intention come into play? Yeah. Well, my wife and I really did start out with the intention to be good parents. And so that was, you know, really clear intention that we had together. And as a result, then through our parenting journey, I think opportunities presented themselves. And I think was Colton was about four and his sister is seven years older than him. And at that point in my, just generally in my life, I had the feeling of low grade anxiety. And I didn't really know what that was, you know, just got to a point where I'm tired of having low grade anxiety in my life, when my life really didn't need to have that. And so my wife went in and did therapy with actually a psychiatrist, and she found it to be extremely helpful. And she said, David, if you're interested, check this person out. So I went to therapy and I was actually at that point, even in a counseling program. So I was being exposed to the concept that maybe my growing up, the parenting that was given to me as I was growing up might not have been the best. And so in this therapy, I 
began talking about my experiences in childhood and what is you know, really great about our therapist, he basically had one a phrase, which he said, the truth will set you free. And so as a result of me telling what I thought was happening, and then for him reflecting back onto that and saying that was really effed up for you, which then came, you know, as part of why the, the title of the book. But yeah, he pointed out to me that the way that I was parented was bad. And it wasn't like I could do anything about that now per se, but just knowing the truth about how I was raised helped me to, for example, discover what unconditional love was. I never knew really what that meant. But then after I experienced the fact that I never had that, truly, everything was conditional in my family, my parents, my mother, my father, every action, there was a condition to it. So I realized what then what unconditional love was. And I think I became a better parent after that. And one of the, probably the main things that both my wife and I decided early on is that pretty much everything that our parents did, we're not going to do that. So we didn't have to undo things that they had done badly. We just had to find a different way to do that. And so that was our basic approach. And Colton has a probably a different perspective on that. What's going through your mind when he says that, Colton? I'm just very thankful that he's breaking this chain of generational kind of trauma and did such a great job and really cared about it. I'm very lucky. What do you think unconditional love means? It is just basically deciding that you have a relationship with somebody and you love them for the fact that they're in your life. And then no matter what they do, you will still be there for them completely and that unconditional but it's like you make that it's like obviously you have a child it's like an easy decision to be like all right you're like a person that i'm just gonna unconditional love but in other senses like in a relationship a partner a friendship there's a period and then you kind of have to like i think you have to make that like conscious decision to be like now you're in the unconditional love camp because you can't unconditionally love everybody I and mean, that's like that would be very tough i mean maybe the buddha but he didn't even necessarily do that <laughs> right that might have been a strategy even for them so yeah, that's what I think it is. But, you know, you make the decision and then you're fully in and you're unconditionally loving no matter what. And I think the other thing to add on to that, I don't think it's necessarily not being judgmental. I think there can be judgments and it's important to have judgments. So if a person is acting badly and they're acting, acting badly to you or others, to say something about that, having a judgment saying, you know, you're acting badly right now to me and or what you're saying is hurting me. I mean, I still don't think you just throw all that out the window and just constantly say, oh, whatever that other person is doing is cool. There is that aspect to it. Is that your experience, Rena? What, what would you have to say about this? I think unconditional love is loving your child through different chapters, giving them freedom to make mistakes and be who they are and loving them through making mistakes. Right. We talked about that. I mean, you know, both Colton and Chelsea were not with opportunities to, you know, bump up against what other adults considered not the right path. So we did have those conversations. But at the same time, I think Colton would say we didn't berate him or make him feel bad or certainly didn't spank him or any of these physical kinds of things. We had conversations about it. And early on, you know, Colton, very early on, and Chelsea as well, they, they listened they were open to the least listening. Whether they did it or not, that was still their choice. And we had to, we also had to accept the consequences that existed. How did you feel when you found out you were going to be a father? 
Well, for me, it was something that was on my list. I mean, I wanted to be a parent. And actually, interestingly enough, when Beth and I first met, she wasn't so sure she wanted to be a parent. So we, right off the bat, made this, you know, supported each other. I supported her in the fact that, okay, you may not go through childbirth and have a child, but I do want to have some experience of young people, young children. And so she was very supportive of that. We didn't know what that looked like, but then she decided that having a child was also something she wanted. I think that it definitely takes the right person to want to do that because at one time I even yelled at my parents and said, I, you know, you're never going to be grandparents. I don't want to have kids. But some of that can be from seeing a parent not enjoying being a parent. Yeah. That is definitely true. I mean, I absolutely love parenting. Actually, interestingly enough, my brother is with a person who has basically his older part of his life is saying, I'm going to enjoy my life because I sacrificed so much for my family. And when he said that, it was like, wait a minute, let me think about that. You know, did I sacrifice for my family? No, I was on the journey. I loved my time with Colton and Chelsea and there wasn't any sacrifice. It was all a, just an experience. It was part of my life journey to have two children and of course, the richness that they brought to my life and vice versa. So I, again, that you raise a good point. I think, I think there are people that think that they paid their dues by raising their kids. And for me, that was not the case. I looked at every opportunity I could to hang out with Colton as a baby, as a you know, young kid, as an adolescent, and now as an adult. So and same with, with our daughter, Chelsea. So I don't see parenting at least from my perspective, as any kind of a sacrifice or that I had to do and then get to a certain point and wait for the grandkids kind of thing. No, I'm fine just having my relationship with the kids the way they are, my children, my grown children, the way they are. Is that your experience now with your kids? Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that's beautiful that you see it that way, because I do think that there are parents that feel like I paid my dues and now I want to have my own life. I want to dig more into that because I feel like if you have the intention of appreciating your child as a baby and an adolescent and going fly fishing with them and teaching them about real estate and you have those intentions, then it's going to be a more pleasurable experience. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Nicely said. And I don't feel like I would have four children unless it would be with the husband that I have. And I probably wouldn't have had that many kids unless I had a partner who helps as much as my husband does. And part of the reason that my husband makes such a good dad is because, you know, he had abandonment issues and wanted to be what he didn't have. Right. I think that is many times a motivator for people when they have kids is to say, I want to do better than my parents. I mean, I also, I find this statement lame when people say, well, we did the best we could. Really? You did the best you could, you know? So no, I hopefully when you signed up for saying, I want to be a parent, you did better than the best you could. You look for ways to be an extraordinary person. But I think for a lot of people, they just think, oh, you know, have the kid and, you know, they'll keep food in their mouth and, you know, it's 
get them off to school, fully dressed, whatever, and that's good enough. But it's not good enough. I mean, it's a really important thing. You're bringing, you know, this, giving this opportunity to this next next person, this, these new people in the world to thrive and have an experience. So I think the bar should be pretty high and people should take that on. I don't find it happens all the time, but I'm always happy when I run into people like that. It sounds like that's been your approach, Rena. Does that sound right? Well, I want to talk about, you said, you know what you signed up for. Can we talk about that? Because I don't even think that people do know what they signed up for. And I think that you do need to think about that in becoming a parent, in thinking about getting married. I mean, if you're doing that, what does marriage mean? What does being a parent mean? And I don't think I thought about that enough, too. I think that the first three kids were a bit of a blur. And I think that operating in life with more intentionality is probably a good thing. Can we talk about how the word intentional or intentionality even came into place? I know it can be kind of hokey. It can be kind of Tony Robbins. You know, you were introduced to it right through real estate and kind of that circle. Talk a little bit about when you started actually incorporating intentionality into your practice. Yeah. So it started in my early 20s and I was decided that being a realtor at the time back in the early 70s was a noble profession. It was helping people with one of their most important things, which is shelter, you know, food, clothing, shelter and healthcare. So I really thought it was a noble cause. I spent time thinking about it and with intention I chose that that field of real estate. And it just so happens that at that time, real estate, people that were in the motivational speaker realm found people that were in sales as being a very uh, willing and open market. And so people like Earl Nightingale and Zig Ziglar and somebody who's around today, Tony Robbins, did the circuit. And so I was exposed to these ideas of goal setting. That was, they used to call it mostly that goal setting. They didn't call it intentionality or intention. So anyway, that was their thing. And the idea there was to sell more houses, make more money. But I really wasn't attracted to that idea of the money and selling a lot of houses, but there was something about it that seemed like, okay, this is a tool. How can I might use it? So I decided to create an intention to be financially independent by the time I was 33. And so with that, I set out to create passive income, which was to buy some real estate rental property. And with that success, I went, oh, wow, okay. So if that kind of worked, that was not easy to do back in the early 70s at 23 years old. So it wasn't lost on me that this had worked. And so then I made two other pretty grand intentions, and that is to have a significant long-term relationship and also to move to a place that better fit my lifestyle, which was the outdoors. So with those two intentions, I then shortly thereafter met Colton's mother, and we've been together for 44 plus years, and we moved to Colorado. And I've been in Colorado all those years as well. So I think that's for me, those early successes really grounded for me the concept of intention and have been using it since then real regular. How did you and your wife meet? How did you win her over? That's a good question. And so one of the first things I did is for her birthday, she said, it's a birthday, says, I know what we'll do. And so we went and found a cabin in the woods in Pennsylvania. And I brought her a handmade wooden salad bowl. 
And my wife was a vegetarian at the time. And so for me to recognize the importance of a salad bowl and taking her camping in the woods for her birthday, I think she saw that we're probably on the same page with how to live a life. That's sweet. Yeah, untraditional, you know, like crunchy, crunchy gift. But she like loved it. <laughs> right. Not like very crunchy gift. or something, you know, it was a salad bowl and she loved that salad bowl. She does. She has it today. Yeah. yeah. That's sweet. Have you given her any other salad accessories? <laughs> no, but, you know, we've been reasonably plant-based most of our relationship. And, you know, Colton's been exposed to that his whole life of pretty high-end, you know, nutritional experience. So, yeah, but I think you should, I think Rita's on to something here. I think maybe Christmas time, it's time to bust out another cool salad bowl gift or some sort of salad accessory. Because it landed so strong. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. So I like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cute. Also, I heard you say on that other podcast that you liked the idea of birthday wishes since we're talking about birthdays. I really liked this concept of making a wish and making mm -hmm. it a big wish, like a stretch wish or a dream. And that most people don't do this. Most people don't know what they want. If you're asked on the spot, what is something that you can share as a wish? Can you talk a little bit about that concept? I like that. Yeah. And it's pretty key concept really of intentionality, which is it's a technique. It's a strategy. It's a tool. If you share things with other people that you are interested in doing or committing to doing it adds a some people call it an accountability factor but that's almost feels a little too coachy but there is a sense that once you talk about your intentions with other people they become more real and the birthday wish thing that i've become somewhat of a advocate for is that instead of when the birthday cakes and the candles there and everybody's you know standing around singing happy birthday that when it's over everybody goes oh make your big wish and get ready to blow out the you know for me now instead of a lot of candles it's reduced it to one so we don't have a campfire there but the point is that you know you're there everybody gets ready to blow out the candles and then they make a wish whatever it is and they blow out the candles and then Everybody goes, okay, I hope that happens for you. No one has an idea what it was. So I, my suggestion is have people say to the people that are right with you right then, that are your friends, your family, people that could support you in making this happen, tell us what it is. And then blow out the candles with a big celebration. So I'm hoping, I'm little by little, I get people to say, you know, that's probably a better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I've taken this on as well. And it's not without a lot of friction. You'd be surprised. You know what I mean? Right. It's so ingrained in our birthday culture that you make a wish and you keep it to yourself. The people are like very not about it, but I'm working on it as well from my angle. And, you know, you get like half the crowd is like, yeah, definitely tell us. And then half the crowd's like, no. And then they're like, but then it's like, what if it's really like vulnerable? And I'm like, yeah, well, that's the point. <laughs> what are you wishing What do you think for? about that, Rita? I want to know what Colton's wishing for. And I know in the book, it says that you have to give Colton a beer to find out about his relationship. But I did hear on that dad podcast that you've been dating somebody for six months. Is that still happening? Mostly it's not happening. So yes, yeah, still on the, the buy me a beer if you want to hear all the juicy details. But yeah, you know, generally I'm looking for the next phase of my life. I want to travel half of the year and be in Denver half of the year or kind of like that. 
and I'd like to do it with somebody that is like down and adventurous as I am and wants to do this. So yeah, I'm still working on that, and that's still a strong intention. I want to have my approaches for making that happen. Do you want to talk about those approaches? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one is kind of a realization that I had was I was staying around Colorado because I think that's like a good way to potentially meet somebody that would work in that capacity. But actually, I had a realization that's a bit limiting because I want to live like a very adventurous kind of worldly life and to actually probably find somebody or be in the right places to make that happen. I should just be the person to do the things that I want to do and just like go to Mexico for six months and just like have fun and do that and utilize the opportunity of things that I've set up for myself and just, yeah, exude that. And I feel like that's sort of just sitting around waiting and trying to like, you know, until this time and until I meet this person, I'll do this. And I'm like, actually, no, that's super lame. Let me just go and go to LA if I want to. And I have an opportunity to do that or go to Mexico or go, you know, somewhere, go to Europe and just send it and live the life I want. So that's a little adjustment in my intentionality of this next year. Now you have actually done some of that. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your travels and your digital nomad chapter? Yeah, totally. After college, I worked in advertising for a couple of years and that was a great experience, but it was like traditional advertising and that's like 60 to 80 hour weeks, like just grinding really good, you know, out of school to kind of have that experience, but I was like pretty burnt out. And the person I was dating at the time was also really interested in traveling and kind of just like seeing the world. And so we both decided to quit our jobs. We had a trip planned to Italy with my family to start the trip. We got out there, we didn't have a return flight. And we just started to like really like work on it. We didn't have any really other option. So we were just like looking and seeing what we could do. And we found an opportunity called house sitting. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically you can go online, you can find people that are gonna be traveling for usually an extended period, like over a month. And they need somebody to look over their house specifically, usually because they have pets. And we found that and I was like, okay, let's look into this. And then we applied and we started to get house sits all around the world. So we got one in Turkey, Thailand, Australia, and that was like, all right, so now we have these three houses and those are all like a month at a time. Now it's like piece together the rest of this trip. I then applied to a couple different digital marketing jobs. I got like a really great digital, fully remote job for a family that was also like all digital nomads that traveled the world all the time. They were great. And she then also got another digital marketing job. So we both got our like US based you know, income, digital jobs, and we were still pretty frugal and traveling from country to country, going basically just east our way around the world. Also, a big intention of ours was to learn how to surf. So if it wasn't a house sit, it was somewhere that we could go and we could go surf. And yeah, so through that, we went to 16 countries and just, yeah, it was a really kind of, you know, revolutionary trip, I think, for, for both of us in our life. Like, it was really cool. Do they allow like families of six to house sit? Can I just be like, hey, I'm just bringing these four kids with me, but I'll walk your dogs? Maybe if it's like a farm or something, you'd be like, we have all these hands. Like, we'll take, we'll do the combine. We'll freaking pack the hay. We'll milk this out. For sure, they would love that. You're bringing a whole crew, for sure. I'm thinking that could be a good way to see the world. It could, it definitely is. And I think that there is an opportunity for that. Yeah. Maybe I should start that. Yeah. Families. Or you could do, I mean, you definitely do house exchange. That's another thing that I've done, right? So you can put your place up and then you find other people that have their place and you just do like an even swap. And it's a really great way to, you know, kind of save money because you're getting your place for free and utilizing your asset of your house. I want to hear about going to some of these places and like setting the intention to do that. And then some of the crazy that happened unexpectedly. Yeah, totally. Probably the one that stands out the most is India and New Delhi. So it was like a one month house sit. 
And we were under the impression that there was one dog and one cat because that is what they had told us about. And we get into Delhi, which, you know, India and New Delhi and on its own is like pretty, you know, bizarre and just a totally another world, right? Like I think the best kind of example that I like to use is India feels like the future, but like not in a good way, right? Like it's like a bad kind of post-apocalyptic already place, which is kind of gnarly because there's like an Audi R8 driving next to like, you know, a complete insane slum and there's like you know armed guards but there's like also people inside the road and it's the pollution everything is crazy so you just get there that's great we were staying in a relatively like upper middle class probably like apartment complex and we get there and there's like an interfacing day there's like one or two days where you just kind of hang out and get the gist of it they had a live-in vegetarian chef which was like really cool that was really big perk but when we're meeting the dogs and the, the cats then they're like okay so yeah these are the two dogs but then also something that we do is we take care of the two rival dog gangs that live in our neighborhood. And we're just like, you know, green, like traveler, you know, kids. We're like, okay, sounds good. Like, what's up with that? And they're like, okay, sounds good. So we take the food that the vegetarian chef makes in like this big pot. And we go to the neighborhood to one of the rival dog gangs, like, I guess, like hideout or like they're like, you know, headquarters. And we feed those dogs, right? And then we go to this other side of the other place and we feed the other dogs. And that like went good the first night. We're just like, okay, this is going to be interesting, but I think we got this. Anyways, the day that they're about to leave, we do our rounds again, and we find that there's a dog from one of the doggies in the other doggies territory, and he's not doing good. He's like looking like he's about to die, basically. And she's a very compassionate person and takes care of these these like stray dogs, which is like really intense, and you know that's like up to her, whatever kind of. But we, she's like, okay, we got to get this dog, and so she picks up the dog. And we're walking back to the house. And the thing is with dog gangs in India, or just dog gangs probably in general, is they're incredibly like intelligent about the territory. So it's like literally like a, a line of this like sidewalk is like if you pass that, you are in our territory or not, right? So we pass into the other one and the dogs start running and they run at us. And there's like, you know, eight like stray crazy dogs. And they're trying to attack the dog that's in her hands. And they end up like knocking her over completely. And she like hits the ground and then I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? And so I pick up the dog and like try and get her back. And I then grab the dog and they're like trying to attack me, but I'm like a little bit more able to like get there. We Luckily we get out of there with like a couple dog bites for sure. We get inside and we're like, okay, this is insane, but what are we doing? And they're like, still, we got to make our flight. Like we got to, we're, we're heading out. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a tuk-tuk to the vet and we're going to get this dog like sewed up and then... I guess, you know, we'll see what happens. And so we get there and the vet guy is very much like, oh, you guys again. Okay. Like, because she's done this <laughs> several times. So we get there and he fixes her up. He's like, really going to take care of it? And it's like, well, actually, yeah, these two nice American kids are going to, young adults are going to take care of this dog. And we're like, really? So we ended up having to take Bernard back to our place with the cone on his head. And so we ended up taking care of this Bernard stray dog and nursed him back to health over the three-week span, taking him in tuk-tuks from their place back to the vet over Christmas. And uh, yeah, definitely being in the same sense, we're just like always when you're outside in these dog games, like, you know, taking Bernard, it was like, we had to like go all night and like be quiet and like rip to the tuk-tuk. So yeah, that was definitely one of the crazier ones for sure. It sounds like you earned your keep. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Be very clear about how many animals there are specifically in India, if you're going to take up house sitting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So alongside that, can we talk about doubters of intention in general? Because I feel like that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Would that be like kind of like a free will or not free will argument potentially? Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, from my own experience, I think that there's definitely some ability to influence the existence. There is, of course, a certain level of boundaries, guardrails based on just like when you're born, where you're born, what happened, you know, how you're born, et cetera, that like definitely reduce like full autonomy in this life, which is really fascinating. But yeah, I think there's definitely some specific control of your like, you know, opportunity. And the only way that, you know, you can make anything happen in life is to come up with a exact intention of what it is that you want and work towards it continuously. Yeah. And I would add to that the fact that most people have been using intention their whole life. There's no question about it. The issue is, did they do it consciously or is it more of just an unconscious thing? You know, like you referred to the fact that you ended up having the first three kids and it was a blur. I think at some level, you for sure decided that you wanted to have the first kid and the second kid and the third kid, but you didn't really sit down and maybe have a serious intentional talk about that. But the fact is that you've done it is there's no question about it. And huge things happen when you create intentions to have a child. I mean, that's a huge intention and a commitment to life, to have somebody in your life, you start being very involved in their life, to just in helping them even survive initially and then being with them, partnering through life. So it isn't a question people have used intention. They just haven't thought about actually as a tool to do other things in their life. So... A lot of people say, you know, I need a new job. So that's an area that people would like to make an intention about. I'd like a different job. I'd like a new relationship. I'd like to be healthier. And the fact is that people have been using that tool their whole lives. And now there's ways we understand the process. We have through science now, we have a better understanding of how the brain works. And a big part of how the brain works is that there is the consciousness of things and there's kind of the unconscious operating of things. So right now we're doing a very complicated thing and not thinking about it very much. I'm talking, I'm swallowing, I'm breathing. I'm on a Zoom call through somehow this amazing technology. So all that is actually happening. But you and I would not be on this call right now had we not had the intention to have this important conversation. And so we created that intention. And then we did things. You know, we created actions to make it happen all the way up until this very moment now. So people have been using it. It's there. And what we are trying to do with our book, What the F is Next, is to remind people that they have this tool and they can use it to create other really cool, important things in their life. And, you know, that's the heart of it. And then, then I think what holds people back that we've tried to address is one, people say, oh, yeah, I want intention. But, you know, I know that any intention that I create is going to take a lot of work. That's going to, I'm going to be on this. It might take me years before I make this happen. So what if I commit to becoming a veterinarian? And, you know, then I do everything I need to do to start veterinary school and I start working with, you know, dogs and internship and all this. And then I decide, no, I didn't want to do that. That was just somebody said that to me and I decided to try it. So I think a lot of people are hesitant because they're not sure that a very big intention is what they really want. And just quickly, we address that in our book. We create a process, what the F is next process, intentional process, and we really help people to connect to the things that they love and have been good at. And then as a result of that, 
they kind of connect with the confidence that, oh, you know, I really have loved dogs my whole life and I've loved science my whole life. I'm really good at science. I, I was crappy at writing and at English. I wasn't very good at, you know, when it came to, you know, running laps in the gym or math. But boy, when it's science has to do with biology, I was really there. So we help people to connect to that so that they feel confident on this pretty big journey you have to take towards something that's really important. And then the other part I think that holds people back is that there's a fear of failure. So yeah, I start on this journey towards becoming a veterinarian and I get two, three years down the line and for whatever reasons, I'm not gonna make it. You know, I decide to do something else. You know, that concept that I heard on the podcast about being a digital nomad sounded really good. So I'm going to blow off the veterinarian. I would blow up veterinarian school and go that. So people's fear of failure. But again, everybody, this is a phrase that, that is said, it's not the outcome, it's the journey that matters. And I mean, I have the analogy of we all take vacations. We plan a vacation all the time. And the vacation is intended to, it's an intention to have fun, enjoyment, see something new, culture, whatever. But along the way, on most all vacations, there's some hiccup in the get along, you know, flight delays, somebody gets sick, the hotel that you thought was excellent turns out to not be so excellent. Kind of like Colton's story of being a house sitter. He, he Two pack and rival stray dogs. Right. Yeah. He has a veterinarian chef he's going to live with three weeks, you know, in an upscale walled little town. Anyway, it didn't happen. So I want to bring up one phone? other thing alongside what you were saying. You know, somebody said I should be a veterinarian. Somebody said, since I loved animals, that's the path I should take. Or, you know, a parent said you should have a kid. What about expectations? How do expectations come into play with intention? Well, I don't know. Expectations are pretty important to have. I have this phrase, and Colton can add this too, is I have really high expectations for things. And I think it's a lot of people I talk to kind of indicate that they don't want to have high expectations because they don't want to be disappointed. And I think that's the wrong approach. I think you have very high expectations, but you hold them lightly. So you hold them with the thought that if it doesn't happen, okay, I just have to reevaluate. Is this really what I want to do? And is there a different way to go about doing it? What would you add to that, Colton? Do you yeah, have high yeah. expectations? I have high expectations for sure, but I absolutely do embody that one. You know, I hold high expectations and hold them lightly or loosely and be open to what other things arise in the process of being intentional or going after a certain expectation. Because oftentimes those can be really in, enlightening or telling or open new doors and new opportunities to achieve what you're looking to be intentional about. I think another key piece of it is that your intentions often change. So the point of like, you know, you have this intention to become a veterinarian and you're a veterinarian and maybe you're like, you know, not necessarily like feeling fully fulfilled anymore. Right. And that's okay because life is a series of phases and you can adjust what you want. And it's like not the same intention or expectation for your entire life. They can adjust, they can modify, they can become bigger, they can become smaller. I think that's a super key point of, you know, creating what are would be actually tangible and, and valuable expectations and then achieving them through intention. Just check in on it. Make sure you check in on it once a year or something like that because things change. What are your expectations of marriage? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a good one. It's definitely have a, a great example with my parents. They have a very great 
Orange, and they've been going at it for a long time and still have a really awesome relationship. So, you know, there's one thing specifically from them that I think is great, and it is that they will be like both, they will support each other to become the best person that they can become individually, as opposed to like becoming one, this one like single unit as a married couple, right? It's like you support each other, make them the best they can possibly see them for what they are. And then if they become the best they can be and they make you the best they can be, then you can be the best together. So I would say that's a general broad stroke of a great marriage. I think, you know, commitment generally is very important. And so, you know, definitely at the marriage point, but really before marriage point, you need to like make that authentic commitment through, you know, that we're going to be there for each other, whether it's, you know, there's ups and downs or kind of changes in life specifically and working on those together to figure it out. I think is a super key component, right? It's obvious, it's like kind of inherent in a marriage, but I don't think necessarily always the most like realized potentially. Anything you would add to that, David? No, I think he summarized that really well. I I think at the core of the relationship that Colton's mom and I have had, Beth, is that sense of helping, being supportive of each other to be the person that we individually want to be. And I'm a lot different than Beth. There's no question about it. And she's different from me, but I love the things that she's doing and I'm very supportive of that. And I think it's, you know, there's, I don't know what to call it working, but we're constantly aware of things to do to be in a better partnership. I don't think I can, I don't want to call it resting on the laurels or something, but I recently created a, an intention of how I want to be even a better partner with Beth. And that's a recent thing for me. And um, so I think it's an ongoing process of thinking about the things that are working in your relationship, how it can be different. And, you know, Beth and I still talk about that all the time. You know, hey, there's something I could be doing different. It's something, and it's not always possible. You know, like she'll maybe make a suggestion. I'll say, oh, that's a good suggestion. <laughs> and likewise, but we talk about it. And if it's a big deal, of course, we have to, you know, sort it out. So it's a lot of communication. Definitely. I think in a relationship, having a lot of open communication. What would you say? I just want to know, like, how did that intention come up where you're like, okay, here's my next one. <laughs> yeah. Is it something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, actually where it came up is I try to every day, most days I get up early. We both get up early and by 740, I've been up for a couple hours and we both do a meditation. She does a lot longer meditation. She's actually a Vipassana meditation teacher. So, you know, she's meditation is something she's been doing for a bit. And I've been meditating since I was in my 20s. But I do what I call resting meditation. And I think just in the last, like a month ago, I was in this meditation. All of a sudden it hit me that sometimes when Beth asks me to do something, and I'm really fortunate, Beth does not provide me a honeydew list. So, so many of my friends, that's a pretty big deal that you have things that your partner wants you to do. And Beth has suggestions of things that she'd like for me to do. You know, like that light bulb in the hallway, be nice for you to replace it because I really can't reach it and you're much taller. So would you do that? And I'll say, and this is, would be an example. If I'm feeling a little stressed or too busy in my own life and she suggests that simple thing, I might not be as like, oh yeah, no problem, I'll take care of that. I might be a little sharp or you know, quick rebuttal, like 
yeah, right. You know, or no, I'm not going to do that. So now I'm telling myself my intention is, is when Beth asks me anything to just take a breath and respond positively in some way, which can be, yeah, that light bulb definitely needs change. I'm with you on that. (laughs) That just reminded me of yesterday. I was at the gym with my 15 year old and I was unsure of whether he was going to walk home or he was going to need a ride. And I said to him, like, I'm leaving in 10 minutes. Are you going to be ready? You know, like, would you like that ride or are you walking? (laughs) I'm not sticking around for another 13 sets that you're planning on doing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yep. Trying to be just, you know, diplomatic about it and and positive. You weren't telling him, you know, I'm out of here and, you know, you're on your own. Right. Good job. Nice job. There's just little tweaks like that, though, I feel like in parenting and relationships. Like, you know, my husband dumped an entire thing of towels on the bed this morning. And instead of me being like, you know, gosh, darn it. (laughs) Right. I could be thankful that like he's willing to take the kids to school. (laughs) So I kind of like did have that moment of like, what the heck? Right. But I'm like, "Ah, how hard is it for me to fold those towels? Like he's helping out with the kids. Nice. Nicely done. Yeah. Colton, you just to talk about the story of landing Google, because I feel like I interviewed there. Not easy to get a job there. Really cool intention that you set. Can you talk a little bit about that coming into fruition? Yeah, totally. So it was part of doing the process that my dad created seven years ago, the field guide for what's next. So I actually did the process after I got back from that trip around the world. And it was very clear that I wanted to work with Google. Just like, you know, maybe watch the internship a few too many times. It's hilarious. I definitely recommend it. But, you know, Google just, it seemed like the ultimate place to work. So I applied while I was in Colorado, like 30 times, so many times, and never heard anything back. Right. And then it wasn't until I had the opportunity to move to Santa Cruz, California, which is much closer to uh, Silicon Valley, uh, Mountain View. And with that, I was like, okay, you know, with this move, potentially I'll be a little bit closer. And like, that's like a better opportunity to work at least like closer to technology or something like that. Wouldn't mess up Google. And that's like a key part of, you know, creating intention is like set that expectation really high, but then hold it loosely. Would have been happy to probably work somewhere else. But luckily when I moved out there and I started to apply again, I ended up just getting reached out to by a recruiter from Google. And it was just like a really good opportunity, great fit for my resume. And yeah, you know, it's, it's like eight interviews for sure. Lots and lots of interviews, lots of tough questions, lots of group interviews, which are, you know, very intense because you don't like know what these people do or what they're talking about. And actually the, a key kind of component of Google hiring processes, they'll have people that are not in your org hire. It's basically like a vibe check which is interesting. And I think it can be like really effective because there's like, you know, this is person like cool and will they fit in and like, how does, you know, just do they pass this additional test that has nothing to do with the actual like job itself. So yeah, got the job. That was about five years ago. It'll be five years at the beginning of 2024. Yeah, it's been great. I've been on a couple of different teams and uh, done a bunch of really cool work and get to work with a bunch of really intelligent, crazy, smart, like engineer developer kind of people, which is such a fun thing for me as somebody that's more like into marketing and kind of like more like trend based elements of society to, you know, create effective campaigns. But these, you know, engineer people are just like so smart, so talented. And I'm like, wow, you're like, you know, amazing. Your skill set is so crazy and mind blowing. And then they'll be like back to me, they'll be like, but like, you're like, know how to like have fun. Like what music festival should I go to this summer? Or like stuff like that. So like, it's interesting, like, you know, mutual respect thing of like being in different worlds of both being like really respecting each other and making cool stuff happen. That's really cool. Have you gotten to use the nap pods? 
Yes, the nap pods for sure. I'm now fully remote, so I don't go in very often. But even when I do go in, I will hit the nap pod. They also have the massage chairs that are like the most crazy massage chair that they like flip you upside down. And it is at first, it's a bit much. It feels like you're being completely body grow by a robot, right? You have to be like, t- you tighten up at first because you're like, oh, wait, like, what is that? Oh, God, what is it? But then you just lean into it and then you just walk out of there and you're just like a total, you're just like a noodle. You're just getting noodleized by this, by this massage chair. And then, yeah, the food's great and the campuses are amazing. So, yeah, it's really cool. And how have you taken some of that experience and then turned that into experiences that you're planning now yourself? Like you do retreats and stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually going on my first three-day silent meditation retreat with my mom this weekend, which I'm very excited about. So we're going to sit in our minds for a while. So I don't know. That's one way. I think specifically with Google, it's been really helpful to just kind of, you know, be in the room for what is kind of like extremely high level, complicated projects and undertakings. And one, you know, just seeing how those work together, but then also sometimes like seeing how like dysfunctional it is even like at that high level, right? Like until you really see behind the kind of curtain, it's like, there's still so much things that like so many things that have to be worked on, so many things that like barely come together. Like that is how the world actually works. Like there's not just like some like, you know, other ivory tower place that doesn't have their own problems and their own things. And they're all working. And it's like very human still, which I think has been like a really great, you know, learning example. Like Google is definitely like the best at being very like respectful and awesome and like caring and make sure people have what they need. But like there still is like lots of things that can go wrong and like it's really hard. And so, you know, even at the top of the top, you notice that's the case. So it like allows you to have some compassion, I think, into other organizations or other things and just like realize that we're all just like really doing our best. And, you know, it's harder than it looks. Harder than it looks. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things. Parenting, relationships, Google. Yeah. All harder than it looks. Exactly. So how can you take some of what is in what the F is next and take those principles to make these things that are harder than they look and make them better? Because this is your guys' impact, right? Like, this is your legacy, what you've created. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And we actually already are on kind of the next iteration of what the F is next. We have determined that this is, for both of us, important. Not only do people be reminded of the fact that they have been intentional in their lives and that there is a process that has a lot of science to it, that is grounded in uh, psychology and biology and physics. All these different sciences support the idea. Nothing is conclusive about the intentional process and how to make intentions happen, but there's a lot of science to support the concept. So, you know, based upon that, the thing that we have found that people are kind of break down at is the next phase. They can create intentions and they have the best intention to want to make it happen. But then what they don't do, they don't have a way to make it, to do the actions on a regular basis to make it happen. And so we're working on a coaching program that can support people in taking them from creating the intention, making sure it's something that is that they have the confidence in, that they love it, that they have the skills, they have at least some of the skills, enough of the skills to make it happen. And then a way to to help them stay on the journey towards making something happen in their life of significance. 
So yeah, it's a really important contribution. It's my important contribution for my life and Cole's at the early end of his life. So this is just one of his many contributions that he will make. I love the multi-generational approach. And I love what you just said. Like, first, you have to recognize that it, you have made an intention and then find your gifts in the intention. And that can make the intention happen by leaning into your strengths. I think that that's really cool. Yeah. Everybody already yeah. is intentionalist. They just, intentionalist. Maybe, they just maybe forget I'm really happy that you're punctuating that point, Rina, because it is true. People don't have a way typically to inventory their life, to really look at the things, think about the things that they've been good at and other people have told them they're good at and really think about what they love in the world. And our process really does that. It's through, you know, 20 questions, basically, that help people identify that. And then a process of sorting through what they said to know that. And, and it's great that you said that. It's, it gives people confidence that they don't get normally. People aren't just constantly walking up to you, Rena, and say, you know, you do a really good job at this interviewing people about important topics. How many people, you know, say that to you? on a daily basis. Maybe not that many. Hopefully your dad at least, right? He loves this. <laughs> he honestly like calls me when I haven't sent him an episode. He's like, do you have one for me to respond to? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so great. Like it's given yeah. us something creative to collaborate on and learn from together. How nice. cool is that? And the same thing with your book, the same thing with the process that you're putting together. Like you guys are getting to collaborate on something meaningful that's bettering the world and both of you and your relationship. Like there's nothing better than that. Yeah. You're right. It is a really great opportunity for sure. Yeah. To do the intergenerational thing is having this format in this case, like you said, I mean, I learned things in this podcast from Colton. He, I'm sure he picks up things from me and then just the two perspectives. So this topic of intentionality, you know, I've been doing it for 71 years. Well, 50 of my 71 years for sure. And Colton's been pretty involved with this since he was in his late teens making this happen. So he comes from that angle, a new person, different view. And not many processes, I think, get that kind of range of perspective. And I think our book fortunately provides that. Okay, so I want to get gushy really quick because you said like how many people tell me that I'm a good interviewer and that I'm putting out something cool. How many times, Colton, do you tell your dad that you're proud of him or vice versa? And why don't you guys end it with like saying something about each other that you love or that you've discovered or that you hope for one another? Yeah, totally. Well, I think this process and working together has, you know, created a more frequent Kind of conversation, which is really great. And, you know, there's been so many opportunities to check in and, and be, you know, a surprise by and impressed by him and, and how he's shown up and worked together on this, you know, very kind of difficult and can be challenging project. Yeah. So amazing. It's been so fun. And I can't wait to continue working with you. Dad. You know, the thing that is really rich about Colton is he is very vulnerable. So I can talk about things that are going on with me at a deep emotional level. And he is just a really wonderful person to talk with about that. And so I'm really grateful that we have this open, vulnerable relationship where we can share things that are going on at, in our life, just other than just the superficial, oh yeah, I went fly fishing, you know, yesterday and blah, 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 or, you know, went golfing and, you know, shot a 43, you know, we have those conversations for sure. 
But we also talk about, you know, on the you know ninth hole, I got to had to dig pretty deep into, you know, really upset with myself that I should be doing better than this. And he keeps very supportive of my journey and my struggles and then also celebrates the victories for sure. So I'm very grateful for our relationship and what we're doing together. That is so sweet. Well, thank you for giving me a slice of that unconditional love and let people know how they can connect with you guys and buy what the F is next. Yeah, totally. So the easiest place to find it is the F is next.com, but you can also just search it on Amazon. It's available in most countries via audiobook and Kindle and hardcover. Paperback. Awesome. Do either of you guys want to ask my dad a question? Yeah. What the F is next for you, dad? <laughs> Good. I'm with you. Let's hear that. And Rena, what is your what the F is next? Start with that and then ask your dad. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. All right. So, David and Colton want to know what the F is next for us. Well, what's interesting is that his show about life is really about what's your intentions and to act on it. If you had bad intentions, he says, don't let that stop you. Come up with a better solution. Still, you have to move on with your life. So he also believes in staying in motion. And if you have some good intentions and you have things that really you love to do and you want to be part of, don't do the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. Act on it. You have to be able to do something about it. And if you're not sure how to go about it, that's what they're all about. They want to try to help you and set the stage for you where you can make the steps to really fulfill whatever your dreams might be. So I really love this word intentions because they used it in the positive and the negative and act on improving bad intentions and also act on positive intentions and don't play that woulda, coulda, shoulda game. Let's act on it. Let's move into the future where you take the opportunity with your life to make something out of it and make the best of it and not let anything get you down because it's all a learning curve as you're going along anyway. And actually making mistakes along the way is natural. And make a plan and move forward with your life. So I would really like that word intentions, because a lot of people have intentions, but they never do anything about it. And they're putting that right in there as the headliner. Do something about it. Don't just talk about it. Do something about it. So I did like that very much. And for us, hopefully we can continue to gain wisdom. Hopefully we can continue to have a relationship where that's where the legacy of the Better Call Daddy show comes out. And isn't that what they're doing also, is that they're sharing their ideas generationally so that they can help people of all ages and where they have and take the opinions of all ages seriously, where everyone needs to be intertwined so that you have a thread of the past leading into the future, where we want to learn from the past. We want to continue to improve upon whatever our situation might be and to find a path forwards at all times. And that's what we're going to do too. Do I know exactly what the future will bring? No, but we're going to continue to make roads and build new roads or new highways so that we can continue to travel further and further and further. 
without building those roads or building those building blocks, it's very hard to get around trees and mountains and obstacles that are in the way. So we do have to grind it out and figure out a way to carve out that path. And that's really what this episode is about, is let's carve out a beautiful future and let's do it with constructive steps rather than just saying, well, I could have been this, I could have been that, I should have been this, or would have could have that, would have could have this, doesn't buy even a cup of coffee, okay? So let's build a future and I think that we're going to do exactly the same thing. We're going to try to open as many doors as we can, follow positive paths, be surrounded by positive people, and see where it all goes. I'm just going to add that I want to continue to lean into my strengths of interviewing people and connecting with people and taking action. That's the key. The key is that we have to always take action and we have to be open-minded to learning new things and being able to pivot as things change. A lot of times people get stuck where they just can't get out of the box that they're in. And we have to understand that there is openings. We just have to find them. And we have to not ever give up because once you do that, you've then put the ceiling on yourself. And whether it's physical or not, if you have a mental block, we've got to understand that that's just as a difficult obstacle as a physical block. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.